Morning, morning, morning. Are we ready for some word of God this morning? Are you guys ready to, to, to learn a little bit today about racial reconciliation from the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about this? I hope you're ready for it because if you're not, for the next 30 minutes, that's what you're getting. <laughs> so you got no choice. Hey, and for those that are listening to us online, I just want to welcome you. Thank you for catching us. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with who I am, my name is Joshua Verwers, and I'm the lead pastor right here at Full Faith Church, and I'm happy you're with us. All right, so I was sitting here and thinking about racism, especially this week. Um, did you guys have probably heard by now? Many of you have, have heard that there's a football team in Washington that was formerly called the Redskins, and they have decided that they are no longer going to be called the Redskins. Now, this has been going on for years. It's nothing new. There are there's always these thoughts that come up. Hey, you should change that team name. You should get rid of that you know, icon. You should get rid of that mascot. That's all stuff that's racist. So when I sit here and I think about this, and I just want you to think just for a second, the term red skin, I mean, that's racist, right? If you're referring to a people by the color of their skin, especially, and here's what's hard for, I think, us as white Americans. We have not in this nation been the race that has been mistreated, taken advantage of, or, I don't know, abused in any way. I mean, we, we really haven't. And so when I sit here and I think about this, especially in this, this nation, I mean, we, I think if you understand American history, you understand that the Native Americans, as we would call them, the Indians, the Native Americans, they had this land. And we came in and stole it from them. <laughs> uh, yes, under the guise of we believed it was the Lord's work that he had given us this nation and that we were to take it from the inhabitants. And while we're there, we're going to evangelize and get them all saved. Right, wrong, don't even want to get into that. What I want to talk about is here today, not what happened 300, 400, 500 years ago. What happens today when we hear a team in the NFL that says, you know what, we're not going to call ourselves the Redskins anymore. Because we now understand that is a racist term. Redskins, I get, and I would agree with that. I would sit there and say, the name Redskins, yeah, probably not a good name. Now, I'm just going to be forthright with this. And I, I, as far as Indians, I don't know. As far as Braves, I don't know. Blackhawks, I don't know. As far as those being names, I'm not sure I would consider them racist, but I'm also open and receptive enough that if somebody can convince me that they are, I'll listen. Redskins, on the other hand, oh, absolutely. But it goes beyond just the team names. It also then becomes the team mascots. So let's think about the Blackhawks and the Braves and the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, those mascots, 
That is a caricature of a people group. And it doesn't come off as authentic. Because it's a caricature, it's almost making fun of them. Now, the Chiefs, I, don't, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. It's an arrowhead. I don't necessarily see something wrong with that. We live in Osceola. Osceola's school is the Clark Indians. Now, there's something wrong with this. Genevieve and I were talking about it. Osceola, we can't even pronounce his name right. right, right. He was a seminal Indian chief, and it was Osceola, not Osceola. However, I think it's an Iowa thing because we call things like Madrid. It's Madrid. We have a town that we call Peru. No, that's Peru. It's like, we don't understand how to pronounce things right. So I'll give the Osceola a pass. But even our logo, when I was in high school, our mascot and our logo, it was an Indian because we were the Indians. And a few years back, I think Osceola thought, you know what, maybe that mascot is a little racist and we shouldn't be doing it. So what they decided to do was steal the Cleveland Cavaliers C logo and try to attach a little spear to it. Very original. Whoever did that in Clark, you wound up paying way too much money for something that you don't even own. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. I'm thinking about the fact of these terms and these names and, and the fact that there are a lot of things, especially in our culture and in our society, that we will say things, we will have things that we think they're innocent, but they're actually not. There are, there's vocabulary that we use in everyday language that we think Nothing about not realizing that the origins of this vocabulary is racist talk. Like, here's one. Have you ever had one of these transactions where, you know, you're trying to sell something to somebody and, and they just keep, you know, windling you down a little bit more and a little bit more and all of a sudden you, you, you look at what you got and you're like, I think I got gypped. That word gyp is actually a racist term. Why? Because it comes from the gypsies, which by itself is actually a racist term, because it was a nickname that was given to the Romani people. And these were people that they got this thrown on them because in merchant activities, all of a sudden people thought they were being taken advantage of. And it was those gypsies. I've been gypped. They took advantage of me. And so every time we say, I was gypped, even though in our culture today, we don't think anything of it, I mean, really, that's a racist term. Or, cops, there's an outbreak. You know what the cops are going to do? They're going to throw you in the paddy wagon. The paddy wagon. Paddy. Short for Patrick in the 1700s. Patrick, a common name of the Irish people. A wagon, a vehicle. The paddy wagon is the vehicle that we take all of the drunk Irish people because they're all drunk hooligans and we're going to throw them in the wagon because, well, that's what it's for. This is just for all the drunk Irishmen. Paddy wagon. Racist. Ooh, or maybe this one. Let's hear it for the peanut gallery. See, the peanut gallery is a term that we often use thinking about the cheap seats. 
However, those cheap seats and the term peanut gallery originated back in the vaudeville theaters. And it was a section all the way in the back that was saved just for black people. And that was the peanut gallery. These are terms that we use and they're racist. And then we hear people say, well, there's not a racist bone in my body, but I think all those hooligans need to be thrown in the paddy wagon. <laughs> this is why a few weeks back I said, you know, maybe there is a racist bone in my body and I'm just unaware of it. When it comes to things like this, when it comes to the, the, the concept of racial reconciliation, I think especially we as white Americans need to think a little harder about this. And we need to stop thinking from our current perspective and we need to start thinking from a biblical perspective. But I don't think it just resides in white Americans. I think it's black Americans. I think it's brown Americans. I think it's all people of cover, color, not even in America. Honestly, I think the church, first and foremost, needs to be thinking about these things. Why do I think the church needs to do it? Well, because recent surveys have said that Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. Sunday morning. Eight out of ten congregations are made up of predominantly one race. And of those churches, the majority of the worshipers don't see anything wrong with it. They think it's fine just the way it is. It's actually two-thirds of American churchgoers say that their church has already done enough to become racially diverse. And less than half even think that they should be more diverse. But this is obvious to me because I spend time on social media and I actually have like this hidden list on my Twitter account and I call it faith leaders. And so it's ministers, all different denominations that I follow and I want to see what are they saying and, and what are they talking about. And it's interesting because I'll find one of their posts, I'll find one of their tweets and then I click on it and I, I click and then I start looking at the comments. And with the exception of People that reside in Kenya and Nigeria that somehow just love Christianity and American Christian ministers, so they flood their Twitter accounts. Apart from that, you can pretty much guess the skin color of the minister is going to be the skin color of all the followers. I, I've seen it. I've clicked on their followers and I start scrolling. And that's exactly how it is. With the exception of Nigerian and Kenyans because <laughs> they love their American ministers. But that's just how we are. That's how the church is. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus taught us to pray and we should be a people of prayer. And even this church, we like to refer to as being a house of prayer. And in the Lord's prayer, we're supposed to pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we're to want a little bit of heaven on earth, is our church even looking like heaven will look like? 
Well, fortunately for us, we can actually find out what heaven will look like. Because God gave us this amazing thing called a Bible. And it gives us a picture in the book of Revelation. And so today I want us to take a look at that in Revelation chapter 7. I want us to see this passage. Now for those that aren't really familiar with the book of Revelation, here's a quick little synopsis. This is an end times type of revelation that that John got. And this is amazing because really what happened is this was a vision that John received. And John receives this vision, and a lot of what he saw in that vision, there were not words to actually put. He had no idea. He had never seen things like this. And now he's trying to take his vision and explain it in a way that would communicate it. And there are things that he says that all of a sudden when he starts talking about lampstands and and winged beasts and and this and that and I'm like what are you talking about John what what does what does a lampstand have to do with the price of tea in China I just don't get it stuff like that doesn't make sense to me but when I read Revelation chapter 7 all of a sudden I'm like oh wait now this makes sense because this is in language that I can understand this is in language that is simple to understand Check this out. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with robes, with white robes and palm branches in their hand. I love how it actually says that out of the message translation, because the message translation says, Everyone was there. All nations and tribes, all races and languages. And now all of a sudden I'm sitting here and thinking, wait a second. You've got every single race, every single tribe, every single person represented standing before the throne of God. I'm not sure that's what most Sunday morning churches look like. Hmm. On earth as it is in heaven, right? Goes on here in verse 10, says that they were crying with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God. Do you notice he says our God? This is all nations, all tribes, all races, all languages, our God. Crying out, our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he says to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Now, come on, this is just good. 
I sit there and I look at that. Actually, uh, it's one of the newer versions of the New Living Translation there in verse uh, uh, 14. It says, I say to him, sir, you are the one who knows. And then he says, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. So if you're wondering, who, who is this, this great multitude that now is... Those that are, are here in the great tribulation, those that die in the great tribulation, those are the ones, every one of them, standing before the throne. All people of every color, all races. I love how he doesn't exclude the race. This is heaven, and heaven doesn't do away with race. Heaven embraces the race. And it's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm seeing this, and I'm being challenged. I'm being challenged in my thinking because I, I'm like, if we are the body of Christ, and we are supposed to be reflecting the kingdom of heaven, why aren't we more diverse? Why aren't we seeking diversity? Have we missed the message in Revelation 7? Have we missed this message because we've decided that we need to segregate on Sunday mornings? See, here's the thing. Segregation is really just separation. If we're all the body of Christ, do you realize how insane it is for us to separate from one another? If you were to separate a limb of your physical body from yourself, you know what that's called? Self-mutilation, it's insane. It tells the world there is something wrong with your mind. There is something wrong if you decide to self-mutilate. Plain and simple. And yes, if there are people listening to this message and there are, they are cutters and they're doing self-mutilation, I'm telling you, there is something wrong with you, but it's not anything that Christ can't fix, that Christ can't heal. And when we as the body of Christ have become self-mutilating in separating ourselves on a Sunday morning, Christ can heal that. See, that is willful and unnecessary amputation. Why? Why do we do, why do we do that? And this just isn't the white churches, this is the black churches too. This is not just the white and black churches, this is the Hispanic churches. We do it because we value our own preference more than we do God's word. Uh, well, Pastor, you don't know. You've not walked a mile in my shoes. You don't know what I've been through. Hey, guess what? All I heard you say was, I, 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 I. I don't need to know what you've been through. All I need to know is what the Word of God says. Amen. And he says, we're to be united, not divided. Amen. That's what I'm concerned about. You see, what happens is we start to separate based on our preferences because we have something wrong with our thinking. We're thinking based on our history, based on our preference, based on our desires, not based on what God says. 
And Romans 12.2 tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed by renewing our mind. I actually like it out of the complete Jewish Bible. It says, in other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. You see, that's the thing. We not only need to know what God wants, we need to know that what God wants is good. There's a whole lot of churches that think, well, we've done enough to try to be diverse. We don't need to be more diverse. We're good. You may know what God wants and that he wants diversity, but I'm not sure you know that it's good to have the diversity. I love diversity. I love it. I love to have my opinion challenged. And I love to look at everything around me and see if I can see God radiating through it. I love to listen to other people that have had a different life, different experiences that I have, and to see the moments through their stories where God was there. Because sometimes they don't even see it. I love looking for those God moments. But if every single person in the church has had the exact same experiences, and we've heard all the same stories... How much growth can we start to have? We, we shouldn't have this segregation. We shouldn't have the separation. And then there are people that they're like, well, you know what? I, I think that we're just making too much out of this because, I mean, really, we shouldn't be seeing color. We shouldn't be seeing race. There's this term that, well, I, as far as racism goes, I consider myself colorblind. Well, I think that's a short-sighted view of this thing, and it's an unbiblical approach to it. I mean, we just read Revelation, right? All races are going to be there. I'll, you know how you can visually tell? Remember, this is John, and he had a vision. You know how he could visually tell that all races were there? He saw differences in them, in their color in their facial features, in their stature. He saw those differences. We ought to see those differences. I think one of the greatest reasons we ought to see those differences is because of what David wrote in Psalm. David writes in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, he says, You, talking to God, have formed me in my inward parts. You covered me. Come on, this is good. I hope you get this. You covered me. What, do, what is the covering for your inward parts? Skin. Your skin. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. Come on, when we see somebody of a different color, when we see people of color... We should be looking at that skin color and saying, my God, how amazing are you that you could take this like flap of stuff and make different colors on it? That's amazing. 
I mean, people, human beings have been trying to do that with t-shirts for eons. And we're stuck with the same few colors. But you look at skin tones, where does it stop? I mean, we don't, we don't go out, okay, we, I, I'm saying we. Most people don't go outside and look at like a flower pot and they're like, oh, those are just kind of whatever. I do that. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty weeds, whatever. But most people don't do that. They look at them and like, wow, those are really pretty. I, I don't get that, but I'm starting to realize I should get that. Why? Because God made it. Because God made it. And if you've ever seen a sunset, have you ever noticed that there's like no two sunsets that look exactly alike? A sunrise in the morning, a sunset in the evening. They're just beautiful things. And this is God putting colors all over. And here we are walking around the rest of humanity, the rest of God's creation, and there's so much color. We ought not to be colorblind. And think about this. If we say to people, I'm colorblind. If we say to people of color that we are colorblind, what are they hearing? Well, I don't want to look at your skin. I don't want to see the authenticity of your skin. I don't want to see how God made you. I choose not to see that. No. See it. Embrace it and praise God for it. Now, here's just a little side note. I'm not quite sure why, but I've noticed that in, in like black culture, they've done a lot of bleaching of skin, trying to make it appear lighter. And yet in white culture, we do a lot of tanning, trying to darken skin. We even change the color of our own skin. But yet we're saying we're colorblind to others. Ah, this, this isn't how it's supposed to be. See, there's supposed to be unity. There's supposed to be this unity. One of the other great passages when it comes to racism that I think we need to understand is Galatians 3.28 because it talks about there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither female nor male, neither slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. And this passage, in context, it's not talking about racism. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about salvation. And salvation is not exclusive to one race, to one gender, to one ethnic, to one class. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive. The only requirement for salvation is God loving you? And we're told God loves the whole world. God loves the whole world. I mean, why would we, why would we do this? Why would we perpetuate even subtle racism? Why would we do that? Why would we say to, to people of color, you're less than? You know what? Your race we're going to mock it by making a caricature of it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have our sports team named after you in a derogatory manner. Why would we do that when we're saying they're less than and yet God says they're more than? 
God is saying, you're more than enough. Just the way you are, I've given you my life. When he comes through like that, we should be challenging ourselves and we should be thinking, rather than eliminating our idea of color and race, how can we celebrate diversity? How can we celebrate it in such a way that it brings unity to the body of Christ? This is a body of Christ. All colors, all tribes, all races, all languages, all one body. It's a body of many members. Each one is important. John speaking there at Revelation, he's not saying that we should do away with race. He didn't say that. But he points out that even in heaven, all races are there. That race itself wasn't eliminated. And I've heard people try to use that Galatians passage as a way of saying, well, there's neither Jew nor Greek, so we should eliminate races. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's saying the qualifications for salvation is not based on a race. But we cannot eliminate race. What we need to do is we need to try to reconcile the race. Reconcile races with one another and with God the Father. Why? Because each of us as Christians, as Paul tells us, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to reconcile people with our Heavenly Father. Our job is to help reconcile our brothers and sisters with one another. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at this from some different perspectives. And my prayer is that for all of us, what we do through this is we lay aside any of our preconceived notions and we focus on what the Word says. I don't want you taking my word for it. I want you taking God's word for it. What does the Bible say? And what is it that God is speaking to me in this moment? I think it's an important time for us to understand racial reconciliation and to understand it from a biblical perspective because there are millions of voices screaming about it in the world. And very few of them are shouting what God is saying. So let's be a people that have our minds renewed by the word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.